Puerto Rico is no stranger to extreme weather events. In 2017, Hurricane Maria devastated the country, claiming nearly 3,000 lives. And in 2022, Hurricane Fiona slammed Puerto Rico again, causing significant flooding and a widespread blackout. As Puerto Rico continues to rebuild, it's leveraging hard-earned lessons to now become a benchmark for sustainability. It's currently ranked number six in the world for solar rooftops per capita. It's received $18 billion in both public and private investments earmarked to strengthen the power grid to withstand future hurricanes, doing this differently. Many of the emergent sustainability development has been conceived and implemented by Glenn International, the leading supplier of renewable energy, electrical, lighting, and telecom equipment for the Caribbean. I'm Kristen Slanina, Chief Innovation Officer for Park My Fleet. Joining me today on the Driving Mobility Podcast is Ignacio Diaz, Director of Sales and Marketing at Glenn International, whom I've had the pleasure of recently seeing again at the Outstanding Energy 2023 Conference in Puerto Rico last month that he orchestrated and initiated. While there, I heard from politicians and numerous leaders in the energy space and sustainability efforts about what Puerto Rico is doing and what the globe can learn from this. Today, I am excited to continue that conversation and to dive even deeper into these topics related to natural disasters, power grids, electrification, solar, battery backup storage, resiliency, and more. Welcome, Ignacio. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. So to start out, please share with us some of the highlights of not only the journey on your career, but how did you reach this point? It's been quite a ride. So I, I started off at Marquette University. I graduated in uh, 1988. And then from there, since I had an internship going with IBM, IBM immediately hired me. And then I stayed there for a while until my father, who founded Glenn International with two other partners, pulled me from IBM to come to Puerto Rico and help him out of his company, which is what where I work today, which is Glenn International. And this is again, 34 years ago, uh, the company was completely automated. And then when I finished the automation of the company, which is what I used to do for IBM, he then I went to him and I said, so what do you want me to do now? He goes, well, you're great in sales. So why don't you go and start selling? And I was like, well, okay. And then I started getting familiarized with a lot of the products that Glenn had, but Glenn back then was really what in the industry of the, in the electrical industry is called a pipe and wire rep. So, so it was really mostly on cable and conduit and ba very basic components. The company evolved a little bit into the utility side with large energy products like transmission distribution substation. But then when I came along, we defined that. Then we also defined the lighting division, which is lighting and controls, the telecommunications division, which is pretty much specialized on fiber optic infrastructure. And then we started working on the energy groups, the energy divisions, which is part of the electrical, it's energy electrical, but it's renewable energies and electric vehicle infrastructure. Wow, I so love that evolution of the company. I just wanted to ask you another question because you know we all know how devastating Hurricane Maria was, such a pivotal event and so much that we learned to do and not to do from that experience. What's interesting that I found out you know, in one of our past conversations and looking at your house is that your house was essentially still functioning and unaffected after the hurricane. 
And I'm all about, you know, we need to share this and replicate as much as possible. If you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you did for that resiliency and, and why was it relatively So if my wife, you know, Lori, who you know well, she actually says you were like the Noah in the Ark of Noah. That's a great analogy. You're Noah. Yeah. There and you it go. It was kind of like thinking of what was to come. I don't know, call it enlightening by the higher being, but in a way, I, I designed and constructed the home to be able to withstand um, uh, Category 5 Hurricane Plus. Of course, we had not tested it until then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in came the issue of Maria, where we actually tested it and actually worked beautifully. I mean, it, it, you know, truly it, unbelievable. Yeah, the, the the house held up. All the windows were rated for uh, uh, 200 mile per hour. You know, winds. They have embedded shutters in it. The generator, Amazing. which is a 30 kW. I didn't have all my renewable portfolio prepared already, which now I do. Yeah. Because I finished that installation, Christian. You'll see it at some point in time, but. Now, you know, back then it was generator diesel, which is 30 kW, it ran the whole house. So we had air conditioning, we had satellite connectivity with the TV, Amazing. as well as data during the storm. So as it was blowing 148 miles Truly per hour amazing. Right my house, we were with AC, people were watching TV and just looking just at the crazy. And everything moving. So it actually worked okay. Basically, you could be completely independent with your water and your solar. That is correct. That is correct. After the hurricane, I made quite a lot of uh, enhancements to it. Not that I want to test it again. <laughs> right. It, 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 we should be in really good shape. Back then, back then was the, the, the biggest issue that we had was getting diesel because after the hurricane, right. the hurricane getting diesel is a, is a problem. So what, what I did now is I increased my solar capacity on my roof to 27 kilowatts uh, with 66 400 watt sun power panels and then I put 45 kilowatt hours of batteries with two solar, two solar 15 kW inverters. So now the house runs completely on solar. It stays on, everything is, there's no transition. This thing That's works fantastic. flawless. And then the batteries run until it gets, which I haven't done yet, but we did test it until it gets to 20% capacity. And then it turns a generator on, transfers load and starts charging the battery Beautiful. with the generator. And then Beautiful. it runs another cycle. Yeah. Beautiful engineering. I love that. Hurricane Maria then clearly changed the country. And I have already, you know, we've had discussions about all these amazing initiatives now taking place to reach net zero and decarbonization and that resiliency. And so I love the fact that Puerto Rico is the mission and goal is to be that benchmark to the world on sustainability and what this looks like so that we don't have another result after what Hurricane Maria did, we don't want that to occur again. I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you and the country is doing. So, but in essence, in essence, it's regarding energy and infrastructure, right? So the cost of energy in Puerto Rico being 23 cents kilowatt hour, and, and, and again, comparing it to a nine, cent, nine cents kilowatt hour cost in the US, in the mainland, having 23 cents kilowatt hour, it helps you quite a bit to be able to justify doing renewable energy because your return on investments quite fast. It does, but, yeah. But the, the, the big issue that happened during, you know, right after Hurricane Maria is that you have to understand that prior to, to, to that day, September 20, 2017, every solar project we were selling and implementing in this island was grid tight. And it was the day after September 20th, 2017, that everything changed and we went from 100% grid tight to 100% 
of grid because there was no grid. Right, it was gone. So, yeah. So everybody had to put in, put in, put in, put in batteries, this, and change her whole configuration, and that has continued on. Nobody's really doing grid tight. Everybody's actually putting storage as well. And and remember, two thousand nine hundred and seventy-five people died, you know, Man. after because of the Hurricane Maria. So we yeah. we have to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Now, exactly. If you think if you think of it, there there's some success stories that have come out of that. Right after Maria, we began burying all the fibers for connectivity. So all of the cell sites, including rooftops and everything, all that fiber has been buried. Hurricane Fiona actually came out in 2022, September 2022. And we did not lose communications with Hurricane Fiona. That's Hurricane fabulous. So, so that's a success story in regards big to success. that. Another big one was the largest bank in Puerto Rico, which you're probably familiar with, called Banco Popular, approached us. And they started creating a resiliency plan to be able to move the banks to be to 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 have solar and storage and run on solar power with backup uh, with backup from their batteries, so they could they could run all their ATM machines and have the bank functioning with emergency illumination and everything and be like an oasis. To be honest with you, it worked out perfect because now we have over 100 branches that are actually solar power with batteries and and you have to remember that right after a hurricane this the, the whole economy of the island becomes a cash economy there is no credit card transactions no anything so the fact that all these banks can actually run on solar and battery and the atm machines you can go and get cash at least you can move along until everything gets back to normal. Something that, that Banco Popular did, of course, you have to understand, Kristen, and you're aware of this, that we have Act 17 that was signed in April, April 11, 2019, after Hurricane Maria, and that was a result of Hurricane Maria that moves Puerto Rico to 100% renewable by 2050. And without Hurricane Maria, we would have never gotten Act 17 passed by our legislature and all of our government entities. And currently, Puerto Rico is number six in the world with rooftops. So today on DG or DER, on renewable, you know, on, on solar panels on rooftops, number six in the world per capita. And that's, that's a huge That is fabulous, a fabulous yeah. accomplishment. And, and remember that all of those installations are with storage, so they have batteries. So now we have already begun to do virtual power plant implementations in the island because there's so much storage out there that you can actually virtualize all of those batteries and create a VPP and bring it into the grid and stabilize those sections of the grid. You orchestrated and created such an amazing event on November 2nd for the Energy 2023 conference. And Secretary Granholm was there talking about these initiatives. And I know she mentioned about the solar rooftop and I just loved her stories and what's going on. I think it's really important for our listeners to hear more about the investment happening and kind of where, where we're at now, but where we're headed more importantly, it's fantastic. Secretary Granholm, she has, she's been amazing. She, she's regarded as a true hero to the island of Puerto Rico in regards to our energy uh, interests. And you got to understand that uh, the Department of Energy, you know, in addition with HUD, they have actually put in over $13 billion, over $13 billion already into the economy in solar. You also have $18 billion that has been assigned for the reconstruction, reconstruction of the power grid. And as you know, very little of that has started. So that actually begins Q1 of next year, and that will go on for the next 10 years. We will be building a new power grid to be able to withstand pretty much any hurricane that comes our way. 
Uh, but you also have $5.5 billion that are being spent on the trenches, which is just private projects. This has nothing to do with federal funding or state funding. These are private people putting their own money to create their own solar farms and, and, and run the island to 100% renewables. So how many tranches are there going to be? What's the plan? There's a schedule six tranches. So schedule six tranches, tranche one has been issued, signed, sealed, delivered. So those 11 projects, which add up to 840 megawatts of renewable are signed and they 840 have- 840 megawatts, that is incredible. incredible. 840 megawatts is tranche one. Tranche two is actually being analyzed as we speak. Tranche two is one gigawatt of additional Man. renewable energy. And in this case, it again came at 100% solar which was not the intention because we wanted to create a diversified portfolio, but they, you know, everybody that submitted for trench two and trench three, which is one gigawatt is all solar as well. But I mean, you, you look at all these investments, there's some private investments, there's some public investments. I mean, if you think of it all, there's over $100 billion coming into this economy, which is one X GDP uh, of Puerto Rico, which is massive in regards to, to the amount of money that's coming to the island. I think public-private partnership is so important in order to make this successful. So fabulous. You know, you talked about the renewable energy component. So the first is solar, and you talked about, you know, diversification of that energy. So I would love to hear a little bit more of your thoughts about renewable energy and, and the other options for, as I said, diversification of that. I don't think it's a secret when we, when we, when we talk about you know, climate change, right? I think, yeah. I think, everybody's, I think everybody's suffering this thing and, and, and climate change, you know, will affect generations to come. Your children, my children, our grandchildren, all of them will be affected by this. And COP28, which is actually right now running in Dubai, is something, you know, something that's being heavily discussed. I mean, they, they actually just signed for, for trying, you know, for the effort of disconnecting from fossil fuels. So they, 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 again, they're pushing very hard because they totally understand that we have to take control of this. Otherwise, we're just gonna kill our habitat and we right. don't really have another one. So, you know, we're, we're facing an existential situation and we need to change the way we live or else we may have some other issues. Some of the people don't associate, you know, the, the, the new level of natural disasters that we're having with the abuse of the planet by humanity. But, you know, if everybody starts tying this stuff together, you're going to see that they're very, very tied one to the other. And, you know, humanity has to make some monumental change, changes. Otherwise, uh, we're going to leave our children and our grandchildren with, with quite a headache. It's true. Um, we have to take responsibility for yeah. our actions and, and get this. And, and you know, for, for sustainability purposes, if you're in an island and you have solar and wind and you have hydro, then that's what you should, If that's what's naturally given to your habitat, to the area you live, Use that, right? You know, and, and, and the reason why I say this is because Trinidad is the only island in the Caribbean that has natural gas. So if Trinidad wants to use natural gas, as bad as it is with the CO2 generation, yeah. that they do, but it's only one island, that's okay because they have enough they on, have on, it. on the land. I mean, use it. But the rest of the islands in the Caribbean don't have that. So utilize the natural resources you've been giving. If it's sunny, sun, if it's wind, is wind, if it's hydro, it's hydro, it's there. What, in your mind, are the top two priorities for Puerto Rico as we head into 2024? I'll give you two and a bonus. The first one is the power grid, right? So the reconstruction uh -huh. of the power grid. You know, as we begin this transition, it's critical that we stay focused into understanding that climate change is here to stay. It's not going to get any better. So we have to prepare everything for that. 
and, and, and we have to execute on that planning. So that reconstruction of the power grid to make sure that it's strong enough so we don't have 3,000 people dying again. That cannot yes. happen. That is impossible. Mm -hmm. The other one is the beginning of the construction of Trench 1, which again, to the point that you asked before, 840 megawatts of renewable energy. You know, and that has to be finished and connected by the end of 2025. So, so think about that, 840 megawatts of renewable energy with storage, because it has the MTR, the minimum technical requirements. Right. So it has storage it attached has to. to that, and it has the storage attached to the trench one of storage alone. So bringing that into the power grid, it's just gonna make the power grid so strong and so dynamic that it's gonna be phenomenal. And the Fantastic. bonus that I'm gonna leave you is a deployment of, this, of, of DC fast charges all over the island. Nice. Because if we, if we are actually successful in that, I mean, this is the chicken before the egg thing, right? Yeah. If we're successful in deploying that, everybody will begin adopting electric vehicles. And this island could very easily be the number one and best electric vehicle island or best electric vehicle state of the union, even though we're a common with the Right. United I think we can make that we happen. Could, we could be number one in the U.S., even faster adoption than California. And a lot of that has to do with range. Because again, California is such a massive state that people get range anxiety, and I would too. But this is 100 by 35. You're not gonna, and remember, you've seen it. Batteries are now getting to the point that you're having electric vehicles coming out with 900 and 1,000 mile range on one Yeah, the ranges are getting longer. That's for if certain. If you're getting to yeah. 1,000, what are you gonna do on an island by 100 by 35? <laughs> you're gonna charge once a month? You know, so, so if, exactly. if you're in that level, then everybody will it's be different the adoption game. and it will be a beautiful thing. I love your I love your top priorities. You made a really good point because I think every other part of the world has to look at that in the same light that you are in terms of grid independence, yeah. leveraging what they have. And so what would you say that they could learn from Puerto Rico in and of itself? The way we are electrifying our life and the way we are becoming so dependent on electrification of everything well, we need to start believing that we have to become prosumers and, and we have to stop being just consumers. So, you know, if you're able to generate something in your home, if you're able to put solar panels, if you're able to put a small turbine, if you're able to put anything, yeah. whatever you can do to generate in your property or in your place of work, that's really what has to change. People have to understand that if you have the chance to be able to generate, which everybody does, then do it. And if you can include it, storage, it can really help you because now you can actually get involved with your time of use tariffing as well as when is peak time, when is off peak time, help the power grid stay healthy. So again, it's just an issue of becoming part of the solution and stop being part of the problem. I love that. You know, so you mentioned about electric vehicles. So I'd like to dive into that a bit, right? Because mass adoption, as well as those barriers, that's totally talked about by the media all the time. And you were one of the very early adopters of EVs. And so when did you buy your first EV? And I'm curious, well, so what made you do it? And well, how's the experience been for you? Well, I, I, I couldn't wait, right? So <laughs> when when I saw the, the Tesla Model X, I was like, okay, that that is my car. And, and, and I, in 2018, I purchased my Model X. My wife came into the car as soon as I bought it, and we went to dinner, and she was like, I don't like this car. And I was like, it's okay, my love. It's mine anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, she was like, this screen that you have here is intimidating. And I'm like, it's okay. 
but it took maybe two to three weeks for her to understand the screen this and then it wasn't a month and she came and said where's mine uh, <laughs> i well, love that story so, i love so it. then in 2019 i purchased lori the same one another model x and i tell you we'll never go back i mean it, it's just i don't miss going to a gas station and and the fact that the island is 100 miles by 35 miles you right. know where's the range anxiety with that i mean you and more more with us if you're in the san juan metro area you really don't have any issues with that i mean you yeah. move anywhere if you're gonna go west to rincon or something something far or añasco or mayagüez yeah maybe and and, yeah. and that's the reason why we still have one internal combustion engine car but again we use it only very sporadically i would say maybe once a month if that where would you say puerto rico is in regards to ev adoption Kind oh, of compared yeah. to the rest of the world. Yeah, we're, we're not doing well. I mean, if, if you think of it, we are, we have our 2 million cars and we have 20,000 vehicles. So we're at 1%. And I, I okay. would venture to say that that's, that's because of price and availability is a big factor. You know, pricing of electric vehicles still a little high. They're coming down. So I think that's going to change radically. The availability of them. I mean, there's not a lot of inventory here. So people are starting to bring them from stateside. They buy them in Florida and they bring them in. And since it doesn't pay taxes, it's, a, it's quite an incentive for people to bring it in. But there's also a lack of education and ignorance in regards to how they function and the fact that they really don't fail because this, this product is extremely reliable. It's a lot simpler than an internal combustion product. So it's huge. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's very easy to justify the reasons of moving to electrical. If you think of cost per mile, even at a 23 cents kilowatt hour, you know, you're still saving. So uh, today, if, you, if you're running gas, you're gonna at 382 per gallon, which is the cost of gas here in Puerto Rico, you're paying 19 cents per, per mile of driving an internal combustion engine. But if you're running an electrical at 23 cents kilowatt hour, it's nine cents per mile. So I'm saving a dime with every mile that I ride. And um, you know, I love that cost per mile perspective. I think we all need to change our headsets and look at the true cost per mile when we make our choices on vehicles. And uh, I, that's a really I, good know, point. To be honest with you, I don't understand why in, in the States, instead of 23 cents kilowatt hours, the average is nine to 10 cents. So, so the cost in the United States is going to be, you're going to be saving a bunch of money. I mean, it's going to be like probably 20 cents or 19 cents per mile in the United States. It's almost cheap energy that you put in your car, which is crazy. The other thing too is here, I can actually harvest my own energy with my solar panels and transfer that to the car, which I cannot do with exactly. petroleum. I can't go to the back of my house, drill a hole, get petroleum <laughs> out, refine it, and put it on the car. That's impossible for me to do. So I can impossible. actually do it. If it's a major hurricane or something, I can actually harvest my own energy, put it in the car, and use it to run. And exactly. then, of course, we have the range anxiety issue. You have the issue of the climate change, which everybody knows is a problem, and it's a generational problem. And another big case is the oil wars. I mean, I, I'm not going to help fund oil wars or terrorism. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, all of the wars that we've seen over the last, I don't know how many years, has been based on oil. So, I mean, why exactly. fund that? If you stop using oil, then they're not going to have funding to be able to weaponize themselves and create havoc. At the end of the day, you know, we are in the electrical infrastructure industry. I don't make a single penny when somebody buys gas, but the industry that I'm in does much better when we do electrification or mobility, because that's what we do. So why not defend my own industry, which is electrical and energy on the, on, you know, on the renewable side. So it just makes sense that we change in that way. That's great. So I think will 
increase mass adoption for electric vehicles then? So I think once we start, because it's beginning, right, to put charging infrastructure in the island and position it strategically and have it, whether it's NEVI or non-NEVI related, because we have a lot of private companies coming in and putting electric vehicle infrastructure for charging. And I'm talking about DC fast charging as well as level twos. As you deploy this pretty much anywhere and people feel confident that anywhere they go, they can charge, everybody will start adopting. Of course, the cost of these vehicles has to come down and we have seen that happening already. Tesla has dropped their prices at what, 25, 30% yeah. in the last couple of years. And then you've seen the Mustang, who, the Mach-E has changed pricing. Whatever, you know, so all of these electric vehicles are, are continuing to decline in cost. And as you probably have seen the chart of lithium, the cost of lithium iron phosphate and lithium ion is going down. So as that happens, all of these electric vehicles become less expensive. And I think that mass adoption is just gonna be natural. My take on this, and I don't know what yours is, is that mo most of the people, at least here and definitely stateside, will have one electric vehicle, one internal combustion engine car. And then you'll move metro area, going to yeah, dinner, the or whatever. Here's yeah. electrical, but if you're gonna go from Toledo, Ohio to Pittsburgh, then you take the gas car. Um, or you're gonna go from Miami, Florida to Alabama or to Atlanta. Good point, longer trips. Yeah, so. absolutely. I would like to kind of get back to your work a little bit. So what is it today that most excites you? If you can make a living while helping humanity and helping sustainability and resilience at the same time that you're protecting the habitat that you're in and helping, how can you not like that? The other thing that drives me is I have three kids and you know I love to be able to tell them our generation is the one that made the change. Our generation is the one that's making this change right. to help you have a planet, to help you have a habitat and to leave it to you guys to complete what we have begun. But it wasn't until our generation came around that all of these technologies have really deployed. It's just mainstream now. So, I mean, that's, that's a drive, driver for me. You were a participant of Energy 2023, you know, and I yes. actually believe that we are changing the world. I mean, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that we showed and, and we really show, we explain it clearly. You know, some of those speakers, it was like having 11 TED Talks in one day and, and they show that's a great analogy. Happened. It was exactly like that. Right. It it's was 11 exactly TED Talks like in one day. So talk about blowing everybody's minds away. The brains of people were like overwhelmed. But you know, you show a path forward for humanity that just makes sense. And the people that were speaking in there, whether from MIT or Cornell or from Ford or from from the DOE, like Jennifer Graham, everybody that spoke in that event were just incredibly smart people. That, that were bringing not only the problem, which was very clearly explained by, by Wallace Wells, as the writer of the book, The Uninhabitable Earth, but every one of the speakers that followed that was, how do we fix what Wallace Wells described? And it was very well delivered. So again, that, that kind of stuff, planning this and executing stuff like that, that I know can change people's lives, definitely drives me. We have to continue to evolve technologies, right? So we've come a long way. But you know, you have manufacturers like this South Wire thing that I was showing you on the cable and conduit. Yeah. And you have you have new technologies on, on and, and that cable and conduit can make the implementations of electric vehicle the, the, the DC fast charges so fast to deploy and implement. At the same time, look at the 
Look at the solar panels and the efficiency on panels. Look at the storage right. and the new units that we have and the inverters. All the technology that's evolving and coming out is just unbelievable. And we have to keep pushing that envelope. We definitely have to keep pushing that envelope because our, the next generation that we have depends on that. So, so we can't stop. We cannot stop innovating. I love that because you're right. We are never done innovating. Nope. Very nope. wise words. Ignacio, thank you so much. And such great work going on in Puerto Rico. And love that you are part of that group leading the charge. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for the interview. And thank great you. seeing you again. Same here. All right. Take care.